irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Uh, Zoom didn't record for some reason this interview with um, uh, Brad Stein. So I had a feeling, so I recorded it on my cell phone as well. And hopefully it catches, you know, and hopefully it picks up a little. And um, hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, it's a great show, and I like it a lot. And subscribe, brain review, and you're. It didn't record the first five minutes, um, but it, we'll, we were talking about coronavirus and and all that stuff. And then we jump into it. So uh, enjoy the show, guys. Thank you so much. And sorry again. Don't trust Zoom. We're going to have a, 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 another version. The original version was right liberty and property. That's right. And they changed it to uh, 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 pursuit of happiness. Now, that's important, too, because personal property is where one gets autonomy, where one gets personal, where one gets personal affection, where one gets um, free agency to be able to think. Uh, differently and dissent without uh, without uh, being uh, coerced. So, so the pursuit of happiness. I think they were trying to be a little bit more all encompassing. Right. Uh, but um, but it had a deeper ramification. So you're right. I mean, listen. Like I said, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that believes that you can't be hurtful. Um, I mean. Clearly, if you are trying to hurt somebody, uh, you're, you're trying to be malicious. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're uh, you're uh, you know you, you don't you go kill yourself. I mean, there's things you could say that would that just have ugly connotation. I believe you should have the right to say them. Right. But society culture will kind of weed you out it's it's kind of capitalism if that's your vibe you're not going to get a lot of takers people are going to say i'm not into this this is what are you what are you doing but why would you what would be the upside if you're if if comedy is simply a form of communication uh what good is being um being Un, insensitive enough that you're losing the audience that you think you're trying to be of some uh, of some in, inspiration to. You know, I always say there's a difference between compromise and strategize. Right. You know, I don't compromise what I believe, and of course, what I believe based on your typical <laughs> stand-up comic. I'm I'm a maverick. I am a outlier. I am the other in my own community because my particular point of view is very different and, and not and, and, and frankly uh, I can't tell you how many articles or interviews I had done over the years that stated you can't how can you be funny or you can't be funny because you're conservative and you're a Christian those guys can't be funny right so talk about myopic yeah. <laughs> talk about righteous talk about um, you know if, if there's been one one thing that, that, that is so 
that has broken my heart about comedians is when I first started, and I've been doing this 30 years, right. or over 30. So when I first started, you know, we were all in comedy uh, condos together. You know, you would be in the same rooms uh, for a week with somebody you never met. You're just suddenly in there, and if you're the headliner, you get the master bedroom, and the feature act gets the next best bedroom, and the if you have an opener with you, and there's no other bedroom, he sleeps on the couch. I mean, that was the game. Yeah, I I did a couple of those, and like in Arizona, they still have the condos, and uh, it uh, it actually they, sucks because the opener usually brings like all his friends because it's always usually a local guy. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, it puts the feature, because, like, uh, I toured with Norm and Jay Moore for a while, and uh, it puts the feature and the headliner in a weird, because it's like, we don't even know this guy, and you're bringing your friends. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right, and they would have a little, take little liberties, because like I said, they're locals, and maybe they were the local opener for the club, so they felt pretty comfortable with that, not, not understanding the decorum of traveling on the road as a comic and kind of needing some space. It's, you know, it's weird enough that you're sitting there, some guy just walks into the room and says, hey, I'm going to be living with you for a week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. you know, if any week, walk to your house and I'm your roommate this week, it'd be weird. Yeah. That's the we got. And it was okay. But, what, but the reason I bring it up was because you would have interesting conversations. You know, you could if the dude was around. It depends on who you're with. You know, or if you were with a, a John Fox, you know, the late John Fox, you know, who was always gone and drinking and drugs or whatever, you know, you may never see the dude, but if it was a guy that would come back, um, and you, and that back then, maybe you'd have a TV. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, you know, back in the day, we had a flame called a TV, uh, but we'd have a TV we'd watch, because, you know, we weren't on computers. But you'd have these wonderful conversations. Yeah. Because... You're kind of thrown into community, but you had something, um, you had something in common automatically. I'm a comic, you're a comic, this is a hard job. I'm trying to make a go of this. I'm trying to get uh, get hired to do another one. I'm hoping they want me to come back another time. So you always had something at stake, or at least, you know, you felt like you did. So there was this sort of shared respect. I may not like your style of comedy i may not do it your way it could be a woman i mean i've run with women i've run with black comics i've run with gay comics i mean you know you get everybody whatever they are they are it's like a brotherhood yeah yeah it, it was it was but what but what's really been fascinating and sad honestly is when the with the trump presidency you know, people have become so polarized and so brutal towards each other. And but when I've seen comics, because uh, you know I have a lot of Facebook friend comics, people that I performed with for years, people that we would have conversations in the condo about being a black guy and a white guy, and you're trying to figure it out, or being a woman, or being gay, or whatever the conversation was. But you had this this shared dignity we're all trying to do this hard thing yeah and so um let's respect that i mean remember i'm a christian conservative okay. 
I remember performing in the uh, in uh, Knuckleheads at, in Minneapolis at, uh, at the Mall of America. I don't know if it's still, probably not. Uh, anyways, the feature act was a female, a lesbian. So she would be doing her show for a while, and then she'd go, hey, did I mention I'm a lesbian? Now, this is, I don't know, uh, late 90s. or So it wasn't quite as who cares anymore. But back then, there was still a little bit of, oh, I didn't see that coming. So it was before and, lesbian was cool. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, and I mean, that's kind of like, you want to work, you better be a lesbian. So, uh, and the good news is you can identify as one now, they have to give you a pass. So, uh, it's the magic rule that if you identify, you become. Uh, so anyways, uh, but, but I, I remember watching this and I remember thinking at the time, when she suddenly said, she's 20 minutes into her set, she goes, hey, did I mention I'm a lesbian? And you get that little bit of a ooh. But then people clap like, oh, you're so brave, you're so courageous. And I remember thinking, as a cop, forget my faith, forget my conservatism. As a comic, I'm thinking, well, who cares? Be funny. What right. are you going to do with this? Let's just be funny with this. Is this gratuitous? Or is there a, is there a plan here that we're going to see? And, of course, she would take that into, oh, you... You weren't ready for that, or you were laughing up until then. And then she'd talk about gay. Well, it was funny, and it went fine. Well, anyways, I decided, this was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night, you know, Minneapolis, Mall of America. Um, um, and this was before peaceful protests burned the place down. Uh, that weekend, yeah, that was back when the peaceful protesters actually just came and saw a show and went home. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I decided, there's maybe 20 people, you know, it's Tuesday and Wednesday night. I decided to do something I'd never done, probably never did after that. I, I did my show for a while, I was the headline. And then I said, hey, yeah, I mentioned I'm a born-again Christian. Now, I don't say that on stage. I don't yeah. say that. But I wanted to see, it was like a science experiment. Okay, so everybody's so open to whatever you are, you're lesbian, fine, I don't care. Let's see if they'll be equally appreciative of somebody of faith or theist, you know, theist. Because I just, I just felt like, is this what we're becoming? Identity politics. Well, of course, that's what we are now. That's exactly what we have become as an American is intersectionality, identity politics, hegemony, and that's what has now become the political leftist religion and certainly their ideology. But it bothered me because it's kind of like, why don't we just be funny? And those specifics of ourselves aren't necessarily needing to be inculcated into the, the, the process unless there's some f sort of funny thing you want to take it with. Because you'd always get a guy going, hey, I'm Catholic or I'm Jewish, you know, but it'd be more esoteric. You know, there wouldn't be some specific, let me try to teach you about being a Jew. You know, they, they yeah. made that reference point. So uh, I did my show, but it, but I remember talking to her. We went to the at the bar afterwards, and we were just talking. And I mentioned, and she said, "You know, you gotta you gotta make that part of your shtick, you know." And you could I could see you having a sitcom where you're this guy that's this one dude that's this old fashioned conservative Christian, and all your family is liberals, and that'd be funny. Now this is a lesbian who's giving who's I, pitching a show to you. I didn't judge her. I never not one time. From my faith, and I say, "Oh, you're a sinner." You're going, "I don't." That's not what I. That's not who Christian, true Christians are. 
We love everybody. We find everybody made the image of God. So I'm just giving her honor and respect. She gave me honor and respect, and we were just talking like comics. Yeah. So that, but that was 1998, 1999. You know, come full circle. Uh, you know, you're on Facebook and all these social media places, and I would watch so many of the comics that I respected, that were friends, that we did something slamming the president, which you have the right to do, but slamming those who voted for him. I voted for him. Right. I voted for him because I didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. And I thought a businessman might be good in getting us out of our deficit because he's not going to care about a lobbyist. He's already rich. He's not going to care about being famous because he already is. He's not going to care about being a politician because he's a businessman and once he's out, he's, he's out of here. So I thought maybe this will shake things up. And both Republicans and Democrats will find out that we're tired of all of you guys because you're incompetent. Right. Why don't we find a guy who just comes in and just and sweeps out? That was my thinking. And and he was doing that kind of stuff because he wasn't being uh, he wasn't being moved by 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 groups that could normally move a politician because he didn't care. And I thought that was kind of a perspective we've never seen in a president so I was digging all that well anyways I'd see these guys you know uh, calling you know, ad hominem attacks against Trump voters and, and I would harken back to those condo conversations it's like we never did that to each other before oh yeah we used to, I, don't, I don't agree with you but it's cool we're comics whatever you want to do make it funny and, all, and we're off to the races and so it, it bothered me that the, the comedy field, like we said in the very beginning, that was designed to, to be truly the free thinkers of culture. Mm -hmm. And we had the ability and the, uh, the, the self-created presence to accept and invigorate the conversation by allowing all ideas, right? right. Which is what leftists always speaks of. We are open-minded. We are the arts. We are the, but yet there's a very specific ideology they land on. But just, it's like, that's not free. That's not free thinking. So it bothers me that we no longer are the true mavericks because we don't give a crap what you say just be funny and that i see is going by the wayside and it makes me sad um when when you were yeah, Brad, uh, oh. no go ahead now setting this uh, it's one of, quite frankly uh brad uh, it's a passion with me studying how this happens the evolution of this and uh I won't have to point to 1970, but it's much earlier than that in the literature and in the pop culture. I'm a gigantic Western fan. I can't get enough Westerns in me. YouTube lets it go back in time. And I'll tell you, if you look at uh, what could be called traditional Westerns, okay? Gunsmoke, uh, maybe you're too young to remember this. No, I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> too young to remember. <laughs> I'm, I'm much older than you realize. I don't want to watch TV. Right. And so, so, truthfully, though, if you see the writing, what happened, uh, all the way up to, you remember Western with Destry, Audie, Audie Murphy, uh, the World War II, uh, uh, you know, he won every medal on earth. You know, that was, that was uh, obviously uh, 
a sheriff without a gun. And I thought the premise was great. I watched the Audie Murphy one and the one with the Swami, the great actor. Uh, wasn't Jimmy Stewart on it? Way, way. The fact of the matter is, if you, if you see the, the how the writing evolved, even like I remember Maverick, and he's a gambler, he's a laid-back guy, and, and it moved away uh, from not completely, not because it's a hard genre to move, completely, but you you know like like water rights, you know property rights, right? Uh, the America that we know, the federal government. Uh, uh, Taking the land, the land from the people uh, uh, to, you know, uh, expand on the federal government land. All of that, all of that. It's in there, but it, it, it get, those themes started to diminish. If, if I don't want to keep going on, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You look at it, you say, God, you know, what is, what's this one about? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, back mountain, but anyway, that's sort of simple. And I have nothing against the gay community. I, I'm just joking. You know what I'm saying? But it came a long way. You know, and you know, the United States, that's what we're about, man. No country that I know of, you can go anywhere in the world, okay? They don't have Western. <laughs> hey, Brad, I, Brad, I do have a question. Was that the longest question you've ever been asked? Uh, I think it was. <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, I did take notes. <laughs> Let me reference. I'm gonna have to go to my encyclopedia. Uh, yeah, history. Uh, but no, listen. I think that uh, what you're saying is true. Certainly, current cultures evolve. Certainly, cultures change with with seasons. With technology, always changes things uh, and, and, and created. Um, even, uh, you know, uh, urbanism and whatnot, it all came with the Industrial Revolution. So it forced people to be uh, in a position of, of, of community, but closeness uh, that maybe, I don't even know that humans were designed to be. I think we're supposed to be more like the Westerners, where we got our home out in the field somewhere. And if you want to go visit your neighbor, you got to get on your horse because you got a couple miles to go to go see, you know, uh, you know, Widow Audrey, you know. But, uh, anyways, um, but I, I just felt like it made me sad because, and, and this is something that I try to explain. I have a YouTube show called Brad Stein Has Issues where I talk about cultural issues and, and, and try to give it a perspective that's obviously different, comes from a different perspective. But, but one of the things that I really um, just matters to me is freedom and free speech and liberty in the First Amendment. Now, everybody says that. Everybody says they believe in the First Amendment, but what they usually mean is, as in, whatever I want to say, I'm free to, that you can't say what you want to say if it dissents with what I want to say. Oh my God, thank you so much. So that's what's the that problem, that, that hypocrisy uh, is causing us as comics, as artists, to, to be able to, to lose the beauty and the power uh, that comedy can be. Let me give you an example. It's gonna be, it just happened. So I was at a club that are, there's some clubs trying to reopen only half capacity, depends on the state, depends where you are. But I was at a club and I was performing and there was a kid there, he was like 17, was wearing a mask, of course. And I was joking with him about kids don't know anything, they grew up with a whole different world than I did. They're babies, they're, they have no idea. 
you know how difficult this country was to create and now this is this was an old bit that i have done thousands of times it's actually on my first album put a helmet on which was my no status album i'm doing the same joke 18 years ago right kid. anyways i'm joking about this this to this kid about this whatever and after the show i'm greeting people talking to folks signing autograph whatever anyways the club guy comes up because he had that dude over there you know he he was mad because you you made fun of his son go, what i'm doing my this is one of my oldest routines i always make fun of teenagers always let me go see so he was angry it's like you um you know you were really uh going too far pushing my son too far and you owe him an apology and you need to ask forgiveness and i'm and but it was, but he was doing it with such entitlement yeah now this is the father telling me about the son and he and something was off about i can't explain it i don't mean that to be demeaning but something felt off in his spirit like what do you it, it was just aggressive and it was a sense of of domineering element <laughs> he doesn't know who he's dealing with here and so he said you owe him an apology now and this guy come up to me and said hey man um i know you're just doing comedy and you know i get it but you know my son is uh you know has autism or my son has some special need and, and he doesn't understand could you give me a fit you know, he, something like that i probably said hey kid sure hey, man i'm sorry i'm just having fun with you don't you if he had been some kind of civilian but it was this aggressive i will tell you what you are going to do for him yeah and i looked at this father and said you know what i don't think i'm going to do that because i don't like your self-righteous attitude and then he's one well, way he's filming it when it's from the hotel. Oh, so you're you're about to trend. That's awesome. So then he, then he talks on to the club club order. But here's the most important part. I don't care. It is what it is. Uh, but he goes to the club and he goes, I want you to ban this guy from this club. What? Are you going to tell me in front of this, because I'm putting this on Facebook, that you're going to ban him from the club? And then he told me, and plus you're making fun of Corona. This is a very serious disease, and you're out there, because I do extemporaneous improv, so I'll go out in the crowd like Robert Williams used to do. And you're talking to people, and you're getting spittle all over the place, and this is a very dangerous disease, and he can lose his license if you do. And it was so weird, because I'm going... If now we've gone from maybe my son got his feelings hurt because he didn't understand you're being sarcastic and satirical and using tools of comedy to make a broader point. And I tried to reason with the guy. Hey, man, I went and got my album off my table. See this album? 18 years ago, I did this in a church, the same joke in front of a kid. And everybody laughed because it was, I'm making him up. I did make fun of your son, and his, but I didn't make him personally. I said, a 17, I always call them by their age, 17. And then I made fun of that guy, and then, because this is a comedy club, if I was out at Walmart dressing down your son, maybe you have something to say. Right. This is a comedy club. We do this kind of way of communicating and finding the funny everywhere, and everybody learns to go along with it. In other words, this used to be a rite of passage. Right. Especially I for the father and the son. So the most important thing, I'll let you talk, but I need to say this it, because it comports to what we were talking about. 
What's most important is he was looking at a club owner going, you must ban him, and you can't tell jokes about Corona. That is why I despise leftism. We not only are going to tell you what you can joke about, we will tell you if you can exist in our society. Right. We will cancel you. Conservatives aren't canceling. Leftists are. Conservatives aren't, uh, aren't uninviting people from campuses. Leftists are. Conservatives aren't making ad hominem attacks, but instead make de- uh, actual attacks with logic and reason. Leftists are. They are the new McCarthyites. They are the worst of the worst. And it's gotten even, even worse when you decide that that uh, uh, identity politics becomes the new reality. It's a religion, because remember, the left has abandoned God, they don't believe in him, so they have to fill that space with an authority. They grasp that authority from cultural Marxism, which is political correctness. Right. And they begin to control you in the name of diversity. Diversity isn't work. They say multiculturalism. This country wasn't built on multiculturalism. It was built on e pluribusism. Are many one? Were there many? Yes. Could this country have been great without all the different people from all over the world? No way. The people that came from Italy brought the best of Italy. They've been around thousands of years. People that came from England brought the best of England. People came from Germany brought the best of Germany. Even the poor slaves who didn't want to come. Yeah brought cultural elements to this country that ended up being a beautiful part of this nation. But we all said, if we're going to be free, everybody has to be equal. And even the founders who had slaves wrote a document that said, this ain't right, and one day we're going to have to grapple with this. You know they still have slaves today? Oh, yeah. Human trafficking is considered slavery. Well, in Libya, they were literally, there's so people on the streets right now. Why is no one against that? Why are they not fighting against that? Why choose something that happened a long time ago? Try to create as though it's exactly the same way. Meanwhile, we've had a black president for eight years. Meanwhile, we had a, you know, Secretary of State. Meanwhile, we've had CEOs. Meanwile, we've had middle-class American that Trump made uh, black Americans have more a job, higher job percentage than anybody in history. Yeah. Somehow everybody's put down. If, if you're only going to see the world through your ideological lens, you don't have a shot at being free, but you will have to control the rest of this first policy. That's why my latest album, Unapologetical, I say this. Whoever controls the language of the people controls the people. Because if you control the narrative, you get to dictate your conscience, your thoughts. What can I say? What can't I say? What's appropriate? What's inappropriate? And that basically is telling you, your free agency is gone. You are a slave now to my dictates. And that is not America. That's totalitarianism. And it's what my comedy fights against. And as you can imagine, that's why I'm all by myself in the comedy world. Because nobody else does it. Um, it's interesting that you shared that story. And because something like that actually happened to me. Because I actually do. I have a form of autism called Asperger syndrome. So with my comedy, I talk about that 20 45 minutes it doesn't matter and someone after a show came up to me and just said hey i was i was very offended how you were just picking on all these uh people with autism i was like you totally just did not understand any of my humor you know what i mean like and you have the balls to tell me you're offended like if you understand 
If you understood, that's one yeah. thing, but you don't understand. But this is very important point for you just made. And here's why, and even subtler than I think you can. You told them, I have autism. Yeah. I grapple with this. I have this challenge. I am learning how to overcome it. I am trying to engage in culture without being made uh, made to feel less than or to be felt sorry for. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm up here on stage making a go of this thing, but I get I have privilege to make fun of it because it's my world. Uh. They heard the word autism and immediately decided off limits. Exactly. Not even allowed to, do, but I have it. Don't matter. Somebody out here might get offended. How patronizing. Do you have to be to decide I'm not even just going to be offended? I'm going to be offended for others. Yeah. You are literally telling people you are so stupid and you are so diminished. You don't even realize you're being made fun of. Let me feel sorry for you. They're treating people of that are minorities like they're children that need to be coddled because they're too dumb to know they've been made fun of. It is the most pathetic, self-righteous, arrogant perspective of engaging humans you can think of and it is destructive and cancer to comedy i 100 percent agree because it's like when that happens you make me not even want to do comedy you know what i mean like i got into comedy to make others feel better and make them laugh and you know i'm telling you who i am because i think that that's funny and i think you guys would think it's funny too but to say I'm wrong and I'm strange because I'm, I like, like you talk about, you know, about being a Christian and stuff. Like, in comedy, that's a very taboo subject. You know what I mean? Because it makes people uncomfortable. Autism in comedy is very taboo too. You know, I don't talk just about sex jokes and all that stuff. You know, I have a point. You know what I mean? Well, and keep in mind that for a long time, especially during. The 60s, when comedy, um, when the Mavericks with the Lenny Bruce, with the Dick Gregory's, uh, with the George Carlin's, um, were saying there are no boundaries to comedy. We really want freedom, and so they they began the process. Of, let's get as blue as we can. Let's get as, let's use any language we want. Let's let's make no topic uh, off limits. And Lenny Bruce would go to jail because he was in a private club and said things that they said was were not appropriate or was pornographic or whatever the term they wanted to use, and they would pay him jail. And that's what he would fight for. This is a private club. If you pay tickets and come see me, that's your business. If you don't, that's your business. If I was forcing you to listen, maybe we have an argument. I wasn't. So that was his argument. So keep in mind that then spilled over into leftism and a call saying things like that. It used to be called liberal, but they've moved so far left. Uh, if you don't like it, what was the phrase? Turn the channel. Exactly. Now what do we have? Now we have leftism who not only don't turn the channel, they go find you and tell you 
turn off the set. Yeah. So that is what is happening in America. It's why I fight against it, you guys. It's why I'm out doing clubs again, and I haven't for a long time. And say, I'm going to stand for what I, my, my show has always been. Lift up God and country, tear down political correctness, because I want to watch political correctness die in my lifetime. But first, I want to watch it suffer. And so <laughs> that's kind of my joke. And I always get to laugh, but it's true. If you can use your words, your intellect, your acumen, as a professional stand-up comic, which is not an easy job. Not everybody can do it. As a matter of fact, it's probably the most admired of the perform performing arts from other artists. I mean, how many musicians have we talked to? How many um, you know, actors have we talked to that will say, how do you do that? How do you stand up and bring people into comedy? We have this one weird, scary, tightrope walk of a career with no net that we do on a regular basis. And so it should be sacrosanct. It cannot be censored, hemmed in, abridged, uh, or muted. It must be able to be spoken from the rooftops because if comedy dies, there's nowhere else to go to hear truth or reality or even uncomfortableness where we have given culture has given us permission to fill that space because you're not going to do it in the boardroom you're not going to do it in, in we're not going to see it from corporations anymore they've been bought and sold you're not going to hear it in the classroom it's been bought and sold you're not going to hear it on tv it's been bought and sold yeah this is our last bastion of people remembering this is what it used to look like. Makes me uncomfortable. Good. Yeah. Feel why? Because that's freedom. That's what it feels like. You know why? It's dangerous. And they don't want dangerous. They want safety. And they will trade their liberties for safety. And now you know what they end up with? Neither. Uh, it's interesting that you said that because I read I uh, was listening to a podcast where Michael Keaton was on it. And he used to do comedy in the 80s, as I'm sure you know. But he said one of the things that he wishes he continued as an actor, because he's like one of the best actors in the world. He said, I wish I stayed doing stand-up comedy because that would have made me an even better actor. Yeah. You know? I think so. Yeah. A lot of them are good actors, and I just think it's because I'm at, I mean, I've been in this film before uh, and uh, studied acting in, in Beverly Hills. Um, but I think comics are good at it because what makes acting, if you're good at it, is you're just really observant of human nature. That's what an actor really is, is he sees how humans react, react respond, how they behave. And comics bring that to the stage. You know, isn't it funny when women do this, when guys do that, when your wife does this, when you go to McDonald's? Isn't it weird when you get on an airplane? We are real deep, nuanced observers of the human condition. So we're able to bring to a character something that you pay a lot of money every week to go to acting class to learn how to do is how do I make this character seem real and fleshy? That's what comics do automatically. So I think for the most part, we're pretty instinctively good actors. Yeah. Uh, Brad, I want to respect your time, but I do have two quick questions if I can ask real fast. Sure. Uh, question number one is, um, you're probably the most famous Christian. Oh, crap. Am I still there? Okay, cool. Do you see me? Ah, 
Hey guys, so this is part two of the interview with Brad Stein. Uh, again, Zoom did not record it. Uh, we did the interview on Zoom and it just didn't record, so I re uh, recorded it on my iPhone as well because I had a feeling that was going to happen. Um, so yeah, uh, the first uh, part was awesome and it was fun. And I'm trying to find the second you know what's interesting? Uh, part of the interview. You know what's interesting? So give me one second. Okay, so here's the second part. Okay. Here's the second part with Brad Stein, guys. Um, subscribe, rate, and review. And sorry for the delay. We'll get right back into it. So now it's... Okay, so Brad, I'm sorry again. Uh, I I do want to respect your time, and I think it's really awesome that you were cool enough to figure Zoom out with us because I know it took us ten minutes, and I apologize for that. No sweat, man. Okay, so the two questions that I uh, the first question I was going to ask before Zoom disconnected is you're the number one Christian comic who doesn't have a Netflix special yet. But a couple years ago, uh, this Christian comic not named John, uh, his last name's blanking, but he got a Netflix special, but they canceled him because of, uh, I guess, yeah. I wanted to see what your thoughts on that was and if you thought that was a good move or, you know what I mean? Well, do you know why they canceled it? I heard it was sexual allegations or... yeah. I mean, there was a, uh, a magazine, like a Christian publication, that had been doing some research on it because there were some allegations that he was um, uh, leveraging his status to get, basically, to get late, <laughs> so, uh, just to make a crew. Uh, but, you know, and he would say, hey, I'll give you tickets, da, da, da. He was just, and clearly, you know, um, not... Uh, the behavior that would be expected of a Christ follower. Uh, but we all, we're all sinners, at least that's what we're taught. And so, you know, I think he has gone to rehab or something and probably is trying to reclaim uh, his uh, his ability to, to work again. Um, so is it inappropriate? Well, I mean, if he was hitting on married women, which is part of the allegations, if he was doing things that were outside of what he was representing himself to be, well, there's going to be repercussions of that. I mean, and that's anybody. Um, and nowadays in the Me Too movement, uh, which is, doesn't seem to be quite as in the news anymore because of that Black Lives Matter, but that was kind of what happened, is once you were, there was sexual harassment or, or an expectation of sexual uh, uh, responses to get certain things, um, you were basically canceled, and a lot of guys were uh, lost their jobs, lost their their uh, uh, prestige, whatever. So I don't think it's inconsistent with what we've seen in culture and how how sexual harassment is going to be interpreted in the future. Obviously, it can be dangerous if if, if that can be used and leveraged against somebody when it isn't true because now because it like all ideas that have some basis of value yeah. it then became a cudgel 
you simply use as a weapon. Okay, I'm accusing you of something. Okay, well, we got to believe all women. Well, that's not... <laughs> Wait a minute. At least make sure this is true. I mean, there's supposed to be a presumption of innocence. So we've seen that one all. Yeah. So we've seen that that is right. And, and that was horrific what they did to that guy. So, you know, that's where it once again gets abused in the, say, in the, in the, in the shape of trying to be uh, sensitive and, and protective of this thing of, of a minority group that had never had any power before. This is how it's always leveraged. We're now going to give you power. And what do they do with it? They become the oppressor. They never see it themselves that way because keep in mind that leftism, uh, progressivism is like institutional narcissism oh right oh my god well it is because all narcissists have a couple things in common one they're pathological liars two they always accuse you of what they are so if I, oh yeah 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 so if i accuse you of being a bigot a racist a homophobe uh, whatever first then you are and i no longer have to be scrutinized the same behavior actually one of my brad stein has issues it's a youtube show i have um dealt with that concept of the first one to accuse always uh, delineates themselves from being under the same scrutiny that they apply to other people this is narcissism so but but when it becomes institutionalized it becomes dangerous because if you know a narcissist they're toxic and, and and there is no cure you're literally just told avoid them stay away because they will destroy anything in its back well that's what this has become so as far as that goes i don't know him personally uh i hope he gets some help and i hope that he finds uh redemption christianity is a is a belief of redemption um if you're trying to get better god will forgive you and i don't want a guy to lose his career because i don't want to lose my career over something that i did wrong uh, I hope we have a chance to start over, uh, and that it, and that truly is another repercussion of cancel culture, leftist ideology. Once we decide you've done something wrong, even if it was 37 years ago, yeah, you no longer get a career, you no longer get dignity, you no longer get a job. Excuse me, you no longer allowed to participate in society. That is as communist totalitarianism as you can get that is the control of humans of agency for the sake of a master or a you know what's ironic is cultural marxism of course found a new uh, 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 proletariat uh, when the cultural element when the when the economic element of marxism didn't work they just changed that that proletariat to the work uh, to from working class to those in you know minorities okay you're gay you're a woman you're you're black uh, we make those the victim groups the oppressor that used to be bourgeois that used to be just simply the owner of uh, uh, the manufacturer you know uh, now becomes the white guy uh the european and and so they find a way to leverage that uh, conflict and then intersectionality they all become equal and then they get points based on how minority status they are black guy gets a certain amount of points black woman gets more black gay woman gets more black gay hunchback albino dwarf midget woman gets even more i mean it literally goes like that they keep adding pieces to the puzzle and they get even more status so as in all things uh, these victims become the oppressed 
her, but it's okay because we were oppressed before, so we're allowed to do that. And somehow it is seen as a virtue when we do it. It's self-righteous, it's arrogant, it's dangerous, it's cancerous. And that's what my comedy fights and has fought for a long time. And then the last question I had is a you're you're a very clean comic and there there's a there's only a handful of guys who could actually like do it like brian regan tom rhodes you know what i guess what i'm saying is when you started what was your mindset of a strategy to compete with all these other comics because although dirty comics could still be funny that's not your cup of tea so like how you know how did you succeed into accomplishing it to the next level as a headliner well uh, first off when i started in the late 80s um it wasn't just a, a foregone conclusion that you had to be as dirty as possible to, because that's pretty much what it's become um is that you know you get you know every language every sexual element that you can make a joke about that becomes the new norm all right so that's how we see it now. I don't, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily as much then, but of course, most of the people were the least cursed. Okay. So on one hand, yeah, part of it was simply my, um, my faith. I, I, my uh, typical nomenclature is not cursing anyways. So I feel like some guys, like a Richard Pryor, for example, was known for the cursing. But that was his, that was his language system. Yeah. He wasn't planned to shock anyone. That's how he thought. So I, at least there was some organic element to it that I felt that felt real and not trying to sort of punch up the joke with the language. Um, you know, my thinking had always been, and so it's, it's, a, it's kind of a dual perspective because I probably have been asked of, of if there was one theme that has been most... <laughs> used in my interviews over the you know how could wasn't it hard to be clean and 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 make it and the answer is of course yeah if you are a professional stand-up comic obviously you know it's a lot harder to be clean than to not but as you just said the little guys that are some of the top grossing hard ticket sale comics ryan reagan uh seinfeld um gaffigan um, um, you know, Tom Rose, I, I mean, I, I started with Tom Rose, you know, we're friends. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, but I remember reading years ago, Seinfeld said, you know, why were you clean? Because he doesn't really have it. He, it's not a religious element or anything. He said, I thought it made for a more interesting game. And I think that for me, when I would tell people, was it harder to be clean? And the answer was always, absolutely. But... Because I always felt like they'd ask me that like they felt sorry for me. Right. <laughs> it's like, poor guy. Like, you, know, you have to be pretty. And, you have to be and I'm like, I said, yeah, that's true. I didn't have to be. I chose. But to me, the fun, the beauty, and the art, if I may be so bold, of stand-up comedy is to find the funny where no one has found it before. That's the hard part. The single greatest credit to a joke by which a comic admires is this. When you hear it and say this line, why didn't I think of that? That is the ultimate uh, uh, respect 
How did you see that? I've been watching that all this time. Why did I see funny there? Yeah. And so Okay, so so let's put you like this. Um, you said you're autistic. I don't know how that affects your mind or your behavior. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But clearly, there is some challenges that come with that spectrum of, of, of your brain synapse that causes you to have certain challenges I don't have. I don't know what those are. Um, now, you could sit there and say, poor me. But you said instead, how do I take this thing and still manipulate it and find a, a foundation to, to drive this uh, the same uh, freedom to be a stand-up comic that I have a desire to not be, make excuses, not look for somebody to feel sorry for me, but to simply say, I don't give a crap. I'm doing this anyways. I'm going to figure this out. That was inspiring to you. It was exciting. I can overcome this. This is the other reason why I hate leftism. They steal from human beings the very elements placed into their into their day-to-day uh, 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 -day, uh, encounters with humans. They steal the things that are there to teach them to get stronger. Yeah. See, if they're offended, they, they're taught, be offended, we'll shut them up, and you get to go feel sorry for you, and we'll reward you with a cookie. Used to be, you have to learn how to suck it up. You gotta learn how to not let it affect you. You gotta learn how to fight back by, let's say, being funnier than the next guy. You gotta learn how to fight back by saying, well, since I don't get this, I'm, I didn't use the F words, I didn't use the sex words. So I literally had to say, how do I compete with those guys? How do I get that same kind of energy? How do I get that same kind of um, control and, and power that these guys get? Since I have eliminated that from my, from my uh, options, and I realized, okay, I'm gonna have to make up with, with it with more energy. I'm gonna have to make up with it with, let's say, more vocal dynamics. I'm gonna have to make up with, with more creativity in some of the routines I come up with. I'm gonna have to make up with it with maybe with more of an attitude, you know. So I simply found pieces of that puzzle that worked for me to not see it as a detriment, but in fact, to be inspired to get better. And let's face it, the clean writer is a better writer because he's eliminated some of the tools that other comics have used. So basically, you're building a machine with the hammer and the chisel and the socket wrench and the crescent wrench, and I don't. I don't get the crescent wrench. I have to take that one out. I don't get this. I, I don't get that. Comics are orchestra leaders. I lead the orchestra. I'm getting all of these people I don't know to come together as an orchestra. He's an oboe and he's a cello and he's a tuba. And he, and I gotta make it all, and again, they all laugh at the same things and find a piece of this. My job as a comic is to make that happen. Right. It's hard to do. And so, when I don't have access to those things, I find other ways to do it. But let's just make it simple. If I talk about having sex, you know, with my girlfriend under the fountain at, uh, you know, whatever, in Paris, whatever, and some crazy thing, I'm going to get a laugh. People are going to, ooh, he's talking about that, and we're all going to laugh. And laugh. You know, okay. But if I can make you laugh by talking about a piece of toast. Yeah. That is comedy. Exactly. <laughs> Crap, how did he do 
Because anybody can laugh at the F word. Matter of fact, if you have a joke that's filled with expletives, I always ask the comics, because listen, I was in those clubs, I was the headliner usually, the other guys were dirty, and I would have them numerous times come up to me and say, you know, I've been thinking about cleaning up my act. I never asked them to. The headliner, as you know, has the authority to go to, a, to the feature or the, or the opener and say, hey, I see you do an airplane bit. I do an airplane bit. Go off that. I want it. You had the right to do that. That was part of the, how, how the formula worked. I never did it because I always felt like if you're the headliner and you can't follow this guy, you shouldn't be headlining. If you can't figure it out, and you know what else I would do? If I saw a guy do something, because, you know, no, every comic sees funny in a lot of the same areas. So clearly, we're all going to have parallel development. We're all going to have the airline joke. We're all going to have the McDonald's Because we've all experienced it, we found some funny there. So I would even challenge myself if I know a guy did something. Now I'm just giving myself a reference point. If I saw a guy do an airplane joke or whatever, you know, flying joke, um, I would challenge myself, I'm going to do mine too. I don't have to. I've got plenty of material. I'm going to show you I can get a laugh anyway because mine's going to be different and better. And more I'm going to challenge myself to see what you get along with my airplane. Would you think there was this beautiful dance of, of a comic challenge himself enjoying the challenge of a joke? To me, it was never a downside to be clean. It was nothing but the inspiration, and the challenge, and the beauty of an athlete who hones his skills to such a degree that he can go anywhere he wants because he didn't look for any excuses and even had the you know, audacity to take the same premise and blow the same crowd away. And that's how much I'm good at what I do believe in my material. And that, my friend, is a stand-up comedian. I 100% agree, Brad. Well, Brad, thank you so much for talking to us. Is there a place where the folks at home can follow you and support you? Yeah, please do. Um, uh, I'm looking for uh, comedy club missionaries, people that want to come to comedy clubs right now and basically say that we will support a comic who's a Christian, who's a conservative, because that's very rare. And we want to come out and say, we'll we'll pay for this type of stuff and we'll see this because the club's owners want to know, does anybody want this? So I'll go to bradstein.com, S-T-I-N-E, like fine wine. That's a weird last spelling, S-T-I-N-E. Bradstein.com. You can go to my Facebook fan page. You can go to my YouTube, Bradstein Has Issues. Um, subscribe to that. It's me talking about cultural issues. Uh, and my fan page tells you where I am. It shows different clips and so forth. And I'm, up on, and I'm on Facebook Live on Monday nights at 7 Central. But anything you go to at bradstein.com, uh, we'll kind of tell you where I'm working, where I'm going, what I'm doing. But listen, I appreciate you guys uh, giving me a, a ring, and I, I hope it was uh, an interesting interview. It certainly was a different perspective, I'm guessing, than most of the comics you had. So <laughs> I hope it was enjoyable. I, I, I mean, I can't thank you enough. It was, it was an honor to interview you, and thank you for saying yes, because a lot of people say no. So. Oh, Brody, let me tell you something. We are all in the same boat. We are just pilgrims on the road uh, trying to find the answers. And so uh, I don't think of myself as anybody, just just a regular guy. And I'm honored if somebody's interested in what I have to say. All right. Well, thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. I love you very much. And I'll, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. I appreciate it, guys. And send me a link. I'll put it on my Facebook. All right. Sounds good. Let's see. You. Bye, Brad. Yeah. Oh, that was an awesome interview, Alan.
Are you there? Oh, okay. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I was sitting. I'll tell you something. It was such an intense lesson that he gave out. Because, you know, we've had other comics that we say, God dang, man, that was a, is that a comedy school university? This was, this was definitely, this is, I feel like just by doing this interview, uh, I feel like my comedy is stronger. I don't know how you feel. I, I do, I do. Because I'll tell you something. Uh, we're so absorbed in watching him and reacting to him and taking it in. It is an exercise. He looked like Tommy, didn't he? Oh my. Tommy Morris? Yeah, I was like, whoa. You guys are twins. Tommy would have totally different. Tommy would have been like the formula. <laughs> the guys that they're, they're clean, we tell them, to, and it's a look. Yeah. It's a look. Well, dude, I am so sorry that the Zoom got disconnected. I think we only could do it for thirty minutes, but um, it was a fun interview, man. So you got that piece, you put it on, the, you all put it together, right? I'm going to try and figure it out right now. But uh, I'll give you a call. I'm going to end the show right now, and then I'll give you a call. But we should tell the folks to subscribe, rate, and review to Raise the Riffs on Apple Podcast, right? And give us those likes. And uh, I got a comedy special out called Keith Raise and Make It Happen. You should buy it. Uh, Mad Records, iTunes, Spotify. And uh, book me on Cameo. And, uh, yeah, what about you, Alan? You got anything where the folks can follow you? Well, I tell you, uh, if you're out there with the corona, uh, you can go in and pick up your food at the Tribal Cafe. And just tell the guy there, uh, I hope you'll have the, uh, the mic open when the corona's over and Alan Lee will be here. That's all I can do. All right, Alan, I'll talk to you in a couple minutes, buddy. You got it, bro. Bye. Later. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, write, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there. www.stereo.com slash Keith and on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.